what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you Thursday, April 8th on a big day on Raider Nation Radio. Hope everybody's doing well. Maybe you should head out right now for lunch and then stay to happy hour for the Masters at PT's 64-plus locations in the Valley. New promotions all the time. If you want to play some video poker, have a great lunch, a cocktail, a beverage, head on out to PT's. They've been fueling this monologue for many years, and I hope everybody is doing great today. I'm currently watching the Masters, and I was just thrilled that we had a Masters leaderboard update that led into me. That's a nice change here on a real, real sports station. Raider Nation Radio, leaderboard, Mark Leishman, four under. Brian Harmon, three under. Hideki Matsuyama, three under. Webb Simpson, two under. Dustin Johnson, through 15, is one under. The reigning champ, he didn't look good early, but he's playing well now. And Jordan Spieth. Is out on the golf course through uh, three holes. He's one under. I saw something today on the Masters I've never seen before, ever. Rory McIlroy hit his father with the golf ball. Rory McIlroy hit a tee shot into into the woods, into the pine straw. So he hit a second shot towards the green, and it hit a man in the leg. And it turned out to be his dad. He hit his father. It was like 50 people around the green. All of a sudden, this guy with gray hair gets hit in the calf, and he looks. And they say, oh, my God, that's Rory's dad. So you wonder why Rory McIlroy's never won the Masters. He just hit his dad with a golf ball. I've never done that. You know, I've gotten eight snowman sevens. I've never hit. I don't think I've ever hit anybody with a golf ball. It got close to it. I broke a window. I never hit my dad on a golf course. What does that feel like? Welcome to the show. We spent a lot of time this week on a lot of different topics, and next week is really our go time. I live out of a calendar, as you know, and I look at my calendar every day. I have two radio shows every day that I have to complete, five hours solo. Don't need a juice box. Don't need a trophy. I'm not digging ditches. I'm not putting out oil fires. It's not that difficult, but it's a long day. We tape some interviews. We do most of them live. Then I got to do a live show at night. And it's just like I'm like a rat in a cage. I don't leave my studio from 9.30, 10 in the morning until 10 at night other than a break or two. So this week, I wanted to make sure we set the pace and the tone for next week, which is going to be the Raiders draft. I am really into the draft this year. I've anchored the Raiders draft coverage many times throughout my career, and I'll do it again this year as we'll let you know about our in-depth team programming from Allegiant Stadium on Raider Nation Radio the night of the draft which is three weeks from tonight. So we'll be down inside Allegiant Stadium doing a broadcast that you could all hear. I don't know if you'll be inside, who's coming in, but that's not for me to talk about now, but we're going to be doing it. And it's all about that 17th pick. So this is what I've been laying the groundwork for, and I'm going to do the next three weeks starting on Monday when we come back in a little bit today. And all I want to hear from you is what the Raiders need to do in the next couple of weeks. And I'd like to get more passion and more positive energy out of the Raider Nation on this. It's a very important moment in the history of this team. This team still has not played a game in front of any home fans. So no one has seen the game. The owner didn't even go to the home games. Let me repeat, the owner 
Mark Davis did not go to one home game last year, and I was there for 16 of them, home and on the road. And now we're going to open it up for fans who are going to be able to go this year, and the draft is going to be really important. Alec Ingold scored the first ever touchdown. Henry Ruggs III was the first ever Las Vegas Raider to be drafted. Now we're going to have an opportunity to talk about the first Raider player drafted number 17, if that's the case, who's going to play in front of fans this year. And I'm hopefully hoping it's sold out and there's going to be a lot of fans there. I don't know who that player is going to be, but as I said all week, I'm really excited about who it can be because a lot of these quarterbacks are going to be gone. And every time a quarterback is taken, that means a good player who's not a quarterback is closer to getting to the Raiders. And I am really excited about that topic. I'm thrilled about that topic because normally that's not the case. When you get to the 17th pick, you have literally no idea who's going to be available except for this year where I think we're going to have a pretty good idea because we're going to take the five quarterbacks out. We're going to take Kyle Pitts out the tight end. We're going to take Jamar Chase out of LSU and Devontae Smith. We're going to take out Michael Parsons, the linebacker. We're going to take out the corner, Patrick Sertain, the second. And we're going to take out at least one or two offensive linemen, including Penny Sewell, who will not be there for the Raiders, and then we'll have a pretty good idea. I don't think we're going to be guessing last year. And I didn't know until pretty much the day of that the Raiders were going down the direction of Henry Ruggs III. And I thought that that was a very good pick at the time, at the time because I believed in the philosophy of go getting the next Tyreek Hill. So, again, I'm not, I'm not flipping on Henry Ruggs III. I'm not saying that he's not good enough. I don't like the Damon Arnett pick at all. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. I don't think they should have took him there. They, they, they took him there because they wanted a corner, and they didn't have a second-round pick, and Arnett was a second-round pick, and they reached on him. And by seeing him play last year, I'm being kind. I'm being kind to say the Raiders reached on Damon Arnett. Now, I hope I'm wrong and Gus Bradley coaches him up and he turns out to be a hell of a player. But we're going to have to wait a while to see if that works out. Same with Jonathan Abram. The year before with his high draft pick, he only played 30 minutes of his first game before an injury, sat out his whole rookie year, played last season, and didn't play well. You know, he made a couple of plays, but overall he was out of position the entire year. But he's a good athlete. He can hit. He's got a nose for the football when it's on the ground. When the ball is on the ground, Jonathan Abram has a really good chance of getting to the football. When the ball's in the air, I don't know where the hell he is. I don't know if he's biting on a play action or if he's deep, and he better be working out with this. There was a little bit of a story about him not talking to Charles Woodson. Then his agent cleaned it up and said they reached out to Charles via social media. Charles didn't get back to him. I don't know the full story. I don't know the full story, but if I'm Jonathan Abram, I rent a house across the street from Charles Woodson in Florida, and I just knock on his door every day and say, teach me how to play safety. I would do that, especially if I had millions of dollars, but we'll see what happens there. So as we open up the show today, Todd McShay released his first top 10 picks in the draft, which did not include the Raiders. And it was very interesting because he, along with Peter Schrager, and I'm going to get to Peter a little bit later on in the show. They let out their mock drafts today. And Peter Schrager's was pretty interesting. But Todd McShay, he had the quarterbacks going one, two, and three. He had Trevor Lawrence, number one, to Jacksonville. I agree. Zach Wilson, number two, to the Jets. I agree. Then Todd McShay, who was pretty good at this, had Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback, going 
three to the 49ers. And a lot of people are saying now this is feeling like a done deal because Adam Schefter's reporting that too. So it looks like the 49ers are going to make one of the more reckless potential decisions I've seen them do. They're going to take Mac Jones at number three, and they trade it up to go get him. So not only is the Niner empire going to get a quarterback that I think has a very low ceiling, but they traded up and gave up a lot to get him. So the 49ers, this is going to be a pick that's going to be talked about for a long time, a really long time. If it works out, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are nothing less than geniuses. If they think that Mac Jones out of Alabama is that special, that they traded up to get him, and he turns out to be great, then no one will ever argue those two guys again. They're perfect. If Mac Jones turns out to be the player I think he's going to be, which is an average quarterback, then the Niner fans will never forget because they gave up other picks in the years to come. So that's a risky pick. Uh, Back to Todd McShay's top ten. He has Kyle Pitts going number four to Atlanta. And number five, he has Cincinnati taking Jamar Chase, who's the wide receiver from LSU. At number six, this is shocking, Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy wide receiver, going sixth. Then right after him at seven, Jalen Waddell, the wide receiver out of Alabama. So this is great. They got three quarterbacks going early, a tight end that the Raiders don't need, and three wide receivers that the Raiders don't need. At number eight, Todd McShay has Patrick Sertain the second, the corner uh, going to Carolina. I have no problem with that. At number nine, Trey Lance, Denver. So let's stop for a second. Todd McShay, ESPN, has Trey Lance dropping to Denver at number nine. That means the Raiders, for the foreseeable future, will be facing Trey Lance with tremendous upside in Denver, Justin Herbert, who's going to be a perennial pro bowler in Los Angeles with the Chargers, and Patrick Mahomes. That is interesting to me. At number 10, J.C. Horn, the cornerback, goes to the Cowboys. And then at number 11, the Patriots trade up to number 11 to get Justin Fields. So that's it. All the quarterbacks, all of them taken five, three wide receivers, a tight end, and two cornerbacks through number 11. That's the 11th pick. There's no Penny Sewell, the great offensive lineman from Oregon. No Rashawn Slater from Northwestern taken yet. And my guy, Micah Parsons, the linebacker at Penn State. So according to moi, JT the Brick, if I'm doing a mock draft, I'm this close, you can't see my fingers, of the Raiders trading up from number 17 to number 12 or number 13 to get Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. That's where I'm leaning. They give up 17 and the Raiders go up because they could not believe. Mike Mayock is bouncing off the walls and he cannot believe that Micah Parsons is available or one of these right tackles are available and he knows they're not going to be available at 17. Are you with me? You're either with me or you're against me and I don't care. I just want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. So this is Todd McShay's draft. A little bit later on, Peter Schrager, Fox's draft, very similar. But the way I tie it into Raider Nation Radio, on a deathly quiet Raider content day, I mean, imagine doing three hours of Raiders Radio today. What the hell are you going to talk about? I talk to all the legends. I'm not going to make up stuff. That's why I'm talking about the Masters and everything else. I'm trying to stretch this stuff out. But this, this means something to me. I have two 
really good respected mock draft guys who are telling me that the draft starts at pick number 11. 11. It doesn't start at 1 because I told you all the players and the Raiders aren't getting any of them, nor do they want them. They don't want them. They don't want the five quarterbacks. They don't want the wide receivers. They have that. So the Raiders are going to start off at pick number 11. They're 17, and you believe they wait to 17 or move up. I am leaning more than I've ever had in a decade with the Raiders that they take the emergency break off, put the car in drive, and move up and get the player that they want. Because I don't think that Micah Parsons is going to be available, Rashawn Slater or Penny Sewell. None of these guys are going to be available at number 17, and they're going to be available at 11 or 12, so I go up and get them. That's it. So that's my monologue. You agree or disagree with that? I'm sensing that the Raiders are not going to trade up. But I told you that they were going to get Yannick Ngakwe, and I got that right. And I don't get everything right, and you remind me when I don't. And I just like us to talk more about the Raiders being more aggressive in the draft. Can we do that? Can we talk about getting a star player in the draft? Now, as I often tell you, I work on Sirius XM on my night show, and Adam Shine who's one of the hosts, and you might have heard him before. Adam's been around the media a long time with Mad Dog, and he has a show on CBS Sportsnet. Adam Shine put out a really good piece of content today that I retweeted at JT the Brick. And the column is, this is a really good column. It's the, the guys who need to improve the most in the league. Okay? It's called the make or break players of 2021. So Adam Shine at NFL.com put together the top 10 players who are going to have to have a make-or-break year. And at number one, it was Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the Giants. And I think that's obvious. Franchise quarterback, they got him a weapon. Saquon Barkley's coming back. They went out and got him a receiver. And, and they're looking good. They're looking better. He's got to play. Number two was Sam Darnold. I said, yeah, that makes sense. Sam Darnold now is Carolina's quarterback. And I don't think he's a starter. I think Teddy Bridgewater is pretty much the same as Sam Darnold. So now there's his make-or-break list, and all of a sudden at number three, he had a Raider. A Raider? Yeah, at number three, make-or-break, according to NFL.com, Adam Shine, Cleland Farrell, Raider's Edge. Let me read you what Adam Shine said about Cleland Farrell. This was between a reach and a gamble. When Gruden and Mayock made the whoa pick of the 2019 draft, taking Farrell at number four, the defensive end followed up his pedestrian rookie season with an invisible 2020 campaign. This cat was a consensus All-American and the ACC Defensive Player of the Year at Clemson. There's talent here somewhere. The Raiders need to see it pronto. With a defense that finished last season at 30th in points allowed and 29th in sacks. Farrell had just two sacks himself over 11 starts in 2020. In a division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, the Raiders must get after opposing quarterbacks. Then the next player he had was Ezekiel Elliott. So this was national news today. Cleveland Farrell put on the hot seat by NFL.com and Adam Shine that he has a make-or-break season, and I agree with everything they said. Everything they said. Cleland, good guy, good guy, good leader, leader in the community. Fantastic story. He has got to have a big year this year.
He was drafted number four overall. Give me a break. He's got to play like a top ten draft pick. So I think that's going to be really important. So you want to get into the show here. Scott Kaplan's going to join us, great radio host, uh, coming up. And then basically I kept the show wide open today. We had a guest cancel on us uh, earlier today for a family issue. And I got the show wide open, and I got time to get you on the radio. And you can get going right now, 702-365-9200. I did a podcast earlier today with my partner Tom Looney, so I'm all warmed up and ready to go, just waiting on you to get the show going with me on what you believe the Raiders. Again, big theme for three weeks. Clock's ticking. I opened up the show saying trade up from 17. Trade up to 11, 12, 13. You either agree or disagree on that. 702-365-9200. The biggest story in the nation today is very unfortunate. Former NFL player Philip Adams killed five in a gun shooting in South Carolina, then took his own life. Authorities in South Carolina have confirmed that Philip Adams, a former Niner and a Raider, Oakland Raider, was the person who killed five people, including a prominent doctor, his wife, and their two grandchildren before killing himself. This is a horrible story today. The sheriff in that region held a news conference, and when they had the news conference and they talked about this, they were waiting for confirmation on the motive on this storyline And the doctor who was killed was 70. His wife was 69. The grandchildren were nine and five years old. And also there was a man working at the home who was working on the air conditioning, and he was shot and killed. So this is a really ugly story. A former NFL player, a defensive back from multiple NFL teams, including the 49ers, the Falcons, and the Raiders uh, from South Carolina State. And it's really uh, just brutal. Absolutely brutal story. Adams, 33 years old, played in 78 NFL games over five seasons for six teams. So he was a seventh-round draft pick in 2010 out of South Carolina State, where he really started. He went on to play for New England, Seattle, Oakland, and the Jets before finishing his career with the Falcons and uh, with the Niners also. So if you look at all the teams that he played for, He suffered a severe ankle injury that required surgery uh, late in his rookie year, and he really never never made a difference in the ESPN story. With the Raiders, he had two concussions over three games in 2012. I don't remember him. I remember him, but I don't remember him well. And his father told the Charlotte television station, quote, I can say he's a good kid. He was a good kid, but I think football messed him up. He didn't talk much, and he didn't bother nobody. Deputies were called around 445 yesterday to the Leslie's home, which is up a arched driveway with the stone gate. wasn't visible from the road where they found the horrific deceased, the five total deceased there, and then the player took his life. So that's a big story today. I wanted to make sure we covered on it, got it here in the monologue as we open up the show. Really sad story to the family and all the friends of all those who have lost their life. We're keeping an eye on the Masters. Uh, the Deshaun Watson news is getting very interesting. As we told you yesterday, Nike has dropped him. So when you look at what we're seeing here, there's a lot of people now backing away from Deshaun Watson, and they don't believe in him anymore, and they think he's going to have a big problem. Beats by Dre, a number of sponsors have dropped him as more and more women are being asked to come forward about what is considered Deshaun Watson's lewd behavior behavior 
during massages, either in his residence or at other residences. There's at least 40 people involved. At least 40 people involved. I don't know how he's going to clear his name. There is no evidence. There's no evidence. He said, she said. But the problem is all the evidence could lie on his phone with the correspondence that he had with all these women. If these women were offended, if they were assaulted and he admitted to any of that or put anything on his social media during his direct messages or his phone calls or anything along the way, that could come back to haunt him. Two of the 22 women who filed lawsuits against him alleging sexual assault came forward on Tuesday, and obviously they were very believable with the specifics of their relationship with Deshaun Watson. So we're keeping an eye on that story here as we open it up. And uh, finally, one more other thing I want to get to as we open up the show. I want to get into the NBA a little bit later on in the show. You know, the Raiders have often been considered, you know, the bad boys of the NFL. They're villains. You know, Kansas City hates the Raiders. They have Raider Week. They despise the Raiders. So does Denver. Denver doesn't like the Raiders. And the Chargers always felt that the Raiders owned their ass. They never liked the Raiders. And the Raiders won a lot. They really did. They won a lot of games in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. A lot of games. And they should have won more. They were one of the greatest teams and franchises in the history of sports for a long period of time. So they still have a villain reputation. I'm going to tie that in now to the Brooklyn Nets later in the show because the Nets now are unlikable. Kevin Durant doesn't play. James Harden's injured. Kyrie Irving goes AWOL whenever he wants. And, you know, I'm up in the Bay Area often, and I was doing a lot of radio up there. And when the Warriors were building their mini dynasty, they won three out of five. They should have won four out of five. The Warriors were very likable to me. They had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, very likable. Then a character, by the way, of Draymond Green emerged. And he was a rough guy around the edges, get in your face. Some people didn't like him. And then the Warriors went out and got Kevin Durant, who was ring chasing and wanted to win rings the easy way. And he did. There's no debate on that topic. No debate. Durant took the easy way out. And it worked out for him. He won two rings with the Warriors. He won finals MVP twice. Hell of a player. And he deserved all of that. But then people around the country started hating the Warriors because of that. And I lived that. I did a lot of radio shows covering the Warriors. So I think the Nets now, in my opinion, are the easiest team to root against in all of sports. You probably don't agree with me. You're probably not paying attention much to the Brooklyn Nets. Not a lot of people are because they're kind of in an abyss. They're in New York, but they're not the Knicks. Their players never play. They've never really won. But I'm telling you, you can build them up. Who is the biggest villain now in all of sports? I'm going with the Nets. I think the Nets have taken over. I don't think the Kansas City Chiefs are a villain. The Patriots, eh, you know, a lot of people were jealous of the Patriots. But Tom Brady had a squeaky clean image, and he's the leader of that team when he was there. So I don't think they're villains. Do we need more villains in sports? I think we do. I'm a fan of the biggest villain of the last 100 years, the evil empire, the New York Yankees. Everybody hates the Yankees that I know other than Yankee fans. But I think the Nets are picking up steam. I'd like to know from you who you think the biggest current villain is in all of sports. Not an individual player, but a team in any of the major sports. 702-365-9200. Raider 914. Start us off today. What's happening?
JT, good show. Um, Houston Astros were mm. well on their way of being the biggest villains, and then the pandemic hit, and I think everybody kind of uh, rolled off their back a little bit. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say something I, I was thinking about after I called you yesterday, mm-hmm. um, backing you up about grabbing a defensive stud. I was just wondering, what what do you think guys like Valipiano, Howie Long, Ben Davidson, um, you know, Atkinson, what do you think they're thinking when they watch – the Raiders for the last, you know, I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, and how we've ignored the defensive side of the ball. I just wanted to know what you think they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Do they, do they, I mean, we have these, we, we're the, we're the greatest team as far as supporting our alumni. Yes. These guys got to get in, in Gruden's ear every once in a while and say, what are you guys doing? What, what's the problem? Why are we ignoring the defensive side of the ball? We've drafted two defensive studs in 30 years, Charles Woodson and Khalil Mack. I don't want to hear nothing about Maurice Hurst and Craig Beaker. I'm talking about studs, defensive uh, animals, and it's only been two, Woodson and Khalil Mack. I'm going to hang up and listen to you, JT. Thank you. Yeah, I would include Daryl Russell before he passed away. He was a great player. He was an unbelievable football player out of USC, one of the greatest Impact studs I saw coming into the league. So I'd like to include him. And I was a big fan of Namdi Asamoah, who came into the league and was a very good player, too, talent-wise. Look, I, I know when the Raiders train up in Napa that they have an alumni dinner and John Gruden comes to it, and he's surrounded by Phil Villapiano and all the legends, and they talk to Coach Gruden. Coach Gruden, who I know very well, cares so much about the history of the Raiders the history of the Raider defense. He put George Atkinson, George was on the staff. You know, he, he has an open door to any alumni that wants to come in and talk to him about anything. Phil Villapiano has a really good friendship with John Gruden, and they've talked about this. John Gruden had Phil Villapiano address the team before, and George Atkinson. So Gruden cares about it, and it's a fair question. It is a fair question about why they've missed so much on defense and they've tried. And, and, and what bothers me the most about last year is they took the offensive players that they took, like Lynn Bowden, who they just missed on. They whiffed on him, and that happens. Happens with every team, multiple times. But this year, I think what I'm noticing is I don't know anything about what Mike Mayock's doing. Nothing. I haven't talked to Mike. I've done some Zooms with him where I was emceeing it. We didn't talk football. That's not my place until I interview him on the show. I don't know what he's leaning towards this year. But I have confidence that Mike Mayock's a really good talent evaluator. That's why he was hired. He's hired for this next three weeks. He's getting paid a lot of money to be great the next three weeks. And I hope he is. And I don't think they had a good draft last year. And that draft, you know, normally you give the draft two, three, four years to, to develop. Right? If Cleveland Farrell turns out to be a stud in this league and it takes him his third or fourth year, you know, Mayock's going to get a lot of credit for that. But I'm all about the defense now. I'm really all about the defense, and that's why I hope, you know, if they get a right tackle, I'm sure it will be very good, and they'll have to start. But a defensive player who can play every down is much more important to me. All right, let's keep it going. 702-365-9200. One of my favorite sports talk hosts, ESPN LA, Scott Kaplan. A lot of rumors about the Chargers being for sale. 
Dean Spanos' sister says the trust is in tremendous debt, and the only way they can pay off the debt is selling the Chargers. How about that for a story? So we'll get into that and a lot more to get to today with the golf in progress right here on Raider Nation Radio. I don't think proving it for me is the motivation. Like, I still want to play. You know, I got like a little sickness in me that just wants to throw a freaking spiral. You know what I mean? Also about football, once you stop, you can't go back and do it. I got some more football in me. Not a lot. And I know that. But what I got left, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everything I got. Tom Brady has been making the rounds, a lot of rounds. Good morning, football. Good morning, America. JT, back with you as we're brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence. Whenever I'm talking X's and O's, I have a Remy cocktail in my hand. One of my favorite people I will see this weekend on my San Diego trip. The great Scott Kaplan from ESPN LA. Cap, good to talk to you. How are you, my friend? JT, I can't wait for you to come down here this weekend, man. Let me ask you a question. Are you vaccinated yet? You know something? I cannot believe we haven't talked about this. Thank God I did it on my podcast earlier this morning. JT is double-dosed. JT's got the double-dose. I did it the right way. I waited my turn. Do we have a breaking news sounder? JT the Brick is double-dosed, and I'm getting on the road. Finally, Cap. Okay, so this is great news. Now, I'm only one (laughs) dose in, okay? Yes. But now, did you have any after-effects of the second dose? Yes, great question. First dose, no problem. Second dose, uh, move the arm around a lot. Someone told me, Looney, our friend, to do curls and do weights. Did a lot of curls, felt good about it. Uh, day one, nothing. Day two, exhausted. No COVID-like symptoms, but exhausted with the two radio shows, a little bit of a nap, and now I feel, I feel like Superman, like I can fly to San Diego on my own. I hear people say it all the time. I took shot one. People congratulated me. Um, I took it at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. I mean, I know people who like horse racing will know that. Um, And it's like being in an amusement park where you're in your car and you're like waiting to get to the front of the line at the roller coaster. So I took shot one. I will see you double vaxxed. I'm, (laughs) I'm like a week and a half in. Hug it out, baby. Give me some love. I want to touch another human being. Absolutely. Scott Kaplan joins us. I want to give a shout out to UNLV because I got my double dose at UNLV and the first dose, you know, there was a line for double dose people going second or first. I went through the first line, which was no problem. I went back this Monday and the line was around the building and it only took 20 minutes to go through. Every volunteer was great. Everybody was fantastic. Cap, I was blown away by this. You know, I don't talk politics much. I couldn't believe how organized and how efficient it is. Now everybody who can get their vaccination should be able to do it easily going forward, and I think that'll get butts in seats so we can talk to fans again who go to games. Well, you know, listen, I'm watching the Padres here in San Diego, 10,000-plus people. When the Dodgers get back to Dodger Stadium, also about 10,000-plus. April 15th, the Lakers will welcome people back into Staples Center probably looking at more like three to 5,000. But even last night, I watched a little bit of Utah and Phoenix, 
And in Phoenix, they had over 8,000 people Mm -hmm. in the arena. So, you know, less than half or right around half, but still sounded, sounded great. I watched the Texas Rangers earlier in the week, full house, which kind of freaked me out just like a little bit. But um, I still think that, look, I know there's people out there that are trying to make a decision because people hit me up on Twitter like, you're just some sheep. They put a chip into your body. They're going to know where you are. I'm like, yeah, I got a phone. They know where I'm at. You know, I got nothing to hide. Um, I just want to get back to living life. I want to get back to going to NFL football games. I want to stand on the sideline. I want to call a game. Uh, And I'm looking forward to the world coming back, which is why I'm happy you're coming down here this weekend so I can see you. Yes, Scott Kaplan joins us. And what jumps out at me, Scott, with the fans in the seats, you know, when COVID began, I took it very, very seriously. And I I never guessed wrong. I never guessed what COVID would look like. I saw the news from Milan and Paris, and, and then we see what happens in Brazil. And it's just awful. And there were people in our industry and people in other media that mocked it and said it was just a flu and they were talking down about it. And it's not a big deal. And that will be their legacy. I want to I wanna make sure that that's the legacy of some of these scumbags who kept their job in media, kept their job in sports media, whoever it was, and guessed wrong about human life. Now, look, there were people that had prior conditions, heart disease. They were obese. They got it. They died. They're human beings. They matter just as much as the healthy people who died from COVID who were 30, 40, 50 because – it, it was so bad, and they died from it. I'm just happy you and I talked our way through this. We're good friends off the air, and we didn't bring an agenda to our radio shows telling our audience what is right and wrong during a pandemic. That wasn't our place. No, I, I just felt like, you know, um, in the last few weeks as people were getting vaccinated, and particularly here in California where the numbers have gone down, I kind of felt like, okay, it's over now. And uh, I let my guard down. I went mm-hmm. to a, a bar on a Saturday night. I start chatting with a guy. He's wearing a Padres hat. He's like, hey, man, I know you. I'm a longtime listener. I'm like, okay, great. Let's have a conversation. How you doing, man? So we start chatting, he and I. And innocently, he spits in the middle of saying something. Oh. Well, wouldn't you know, that little thing hit me right in the lip. His little spittle hit me right in the lip. And JT, that was the end of it for me. I'm like, I'm going to get vaccinated like right away, which is what I did. Um, and I, <laughs> again, I think a lot of people were letting their guards down. But when you look at some numbers around the country that are continuing to go up, I thought, hey, I don't know anybody that's got it anymore. It's over. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I know a bunch of people that, that have it. So um, it's still real. It's still out yeah. there. And uh, I would just encourage everybody to, you know, just do it, man. Yeah, absolutely. We're both encouraging everybody. Are you kidding me? Get vaccinated, please. Everybody do it. And let's get back to going to sporting events together. Scott Kaplan, ESPN 710. So I'm fascinated by this topic because you and I know Mark Davis. And Mark Davis had a roll of the dice and came to Vegas. And initially he was going to go to Carson with Dean Spanos. And at the time... So, to look, it's not going to happen in Oakland. It's just not. So, they're looking at Carson, and fortunately for the Raiders, it didn't work. Fortunately, Mark Davis lost. He took his medicine. He took the high road, and Vegas opened. Greatest move for the future of the Raiders. We, we both agree. But now I'm hearing Dean Spanos' sister knows that the trust that they have is in so much debt, and the only way they can get out of the debt is to sell the Chargers. You know this topic in L.A. and San Diego well. What's going to happen here? 
Well, this is a uh, this is a very very embarrassing situation for everybody involved, you know. And you, you start on the local level. You start with the ownership of the franchise. Let's go back a few years. You mentioned Mark Davis when he was moving from Oakland to Vegas. When the Chargers were moving from San Diego to L.A., the primary reason that they moved was because ultimately, if the Chargers were going to contribute to a stadium in San Diego, the fact of the matter is now, and it was back then as well, they were not liquid enough to come up with the cash. Mark Davis outsmarted everybody because Mark Davis didn't have and didn't need to go borrow the money to get the stadium built in Las Vegas. It was built by the state. It was built by the Bank of America. We all understand who ultimately paid for it. Mark brought his team. He had the content, and it was a great partnership. For the Chargers, they were unable to raise the cash required to even contribute to a stadium in San Diego. And then you say to yourself, okay, smart guy, well, it was $650 million for them to move to L.A. relocation fee. Right, but they don't have to pay that at once. They can pay that over a long period of time. So they have a history now as the children of a billionaire of borrowing money to live their lives. When you're a billionaire, you borrow money if you can. Well, I mean, you can, but if you, if you have to, you borrow money at really low interest rates, and then you live your life. You fly on private jets. You belong to expensive country clubs. Everybody lives in a mansion. When the sister comes out and says, we're flat cash broke to the point, JT, you'll love this. The Chargers have 22, uh, this is according to the lawsuit, have $22 million committed to local charities that they're saying, well, you'll have to wait. Well, these organizations wow. have made their budgets around, well, the Chargers are going to donate half a million dollars this year. Now, all of a sudden, that money is taken from you. And so, or it never really shows up. So when you think about this, this is a Hollywood story because you've got the NFL, you've got billionaires, you've got infighting amongst siblings. Um, it's just embarrassing that it's public, not just for the Spanoses, not just for the Charger franchise, but for the NFL in general. You allow this little team that you knew was broke to move to the second biggest media market and to, to reside in the most beautiful brand new stadium. I know Vegas has their claim as well, mm -hmm. but – they did not deserve, they cannot afford, and now they're publicly humiliated by the infighting. And the sister also said that the, the plan was to sell in 2024. So she just let the cat out of the bag, and it's just turned into a total humiliation, yet another in a series for the then San Diego Chargers that now call L.A. home. Wrapping it up with Scott Kaplan, ESPN L.A., great friend, great sports talk host. So one more thing on the Chargers. As we talked about, I was lucky enough to, to go to every Raider home game in a season where we'll never, ever in the history of football see those quarterbacks play ever again in Vegas in one season. That included Drew Brees and Tom Brady. That'll never happen again. And Phillip Rivers. So you look at the players who played, and then you go into Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, of Buffalo, right? I saw Carr, mm -hmm. Marcus Mariota. Mm -hmm. The list goes on and on. I saw Patrick Mahomes. So that'll never line up again in the history of the NFL, and I had a front-row seat with no one there. Everybody asked me, everybody, because Brady was there in Breeze, who was the best quarterback I saw? And it had no disrespect to do with Carr. It was Herbert. Because the day I saw him play, 
I was so blown away by his footwork, his legs, standing in the pocket. They should have lost. They won a miracle game. Marcus Mariota had a first and goal at the four. The Raiders let that game slip away. But I walked out of that building and said, oh, my God, Herbert is great. He's not good. What does Dean Spanos do now? He's got this superstar quarterback where I didn't think he could get 30,000 fans into that 70,000 or 80,000 seat venue. Can Herbert save the franchise on his own by selling that building out and selling the Chargers in L.A.? I doubt it. I doubt it. Really? Um, and the, yeah, and the reason I say that is because, uh, first and foremost, you could have a great talent at quarterback, and the Chargers certainly do. But if you look back historically at their franchise, they've had great quarterbacks and their entire careers have been wasted. And I'll use Phillip Rivers because he's the previous quarterback as the best example. Um, I could go further into the history books and talk about Dan Fouts. Point being, they've had great quarterbacks, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, guys who may eventually be in the Hall of Fame, but they were never able to truly cultivate winning. So mm-hmm. the point is, is that Herbert might be a great player, He might post Hall of Fame statistics over the course of a 10, 12, 14-year career. Who knows? Um, But he also may never win. They've always had a terrible history of injuries. Uh, They've always been known as an organization that tries to do things cheap. They don't go with the greatest uh, of modern technology. They don't go out and find the greatest medical minds. I mean, last year alone, their doctors, you know, punctured the lung of their starting quarterback with a pregame cortisone shot. So, Is Herbert an exciting player? Yes, he is. Is he a superstar on the L.A. sports scene? Not even close yet. And think about it, JT. Who are the Chargers competing against? 11 pro sports teams. But you're talking about LeBron James and the Lakers. You're talking about Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, the Dodgers. These are huge stars. Justin Herbert is an up-and-coming NFL star, but he's not a household name yet. So can he save the Chargers by himself? I'd say I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that I think that that's the case. Scott Kaplan, the best. ESPN LA, last one. Did the Lakers win the title? With Anthony Davis out, LeBron, trying to get the chemistry right, assuming they both come back healthy. Have we seen enough to say they're not going to run this back and go back to back, or do you think they pull it off? I would say right now, today, where we sit right now, I'm real skeptical mm-hmm. that the Lakers so can, can win another championship. And, you know, JT, going from San Diego to L.A., um, where everybody is a Laker homer and, and everybody is just a Laker defender, I'm like the only guy on the radio that goes, you know what, I'm not buying it yet because LeBron may or may not come back 100% healthy. Anthony Davis may or may not. Andre Drummond may or may not fit into what they do. They may not have enough time. By the way, the exact same thing could be said for Brooklyn. I mean, you look at Kevin Durant, who made a great showing last night, but James Harden is out, and now Blake Griffin is a contributor. But when they get their three, and maybe you'll call it three-and-a-half superstars together, will they have enough time to gel, create chemistry? I actually like teams like Utah and Phoenix in the West that have great team chemistry and have them playing together and haven't had to deal with the injuries. So – I'm still skeptical unless if Anthony Davis and LeBron James come back fully healthy, yes, they got a real shot at winning another title. If they don't, I'm not buying it because without those two guys, they're just a mediocre team. 
extra beverage on me this weekend in San Diego. Long appearance by you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everything you do. Talk to you soon, Cap. Brother, can't wait to see you this weekend, JT. There he is, Scott Kaplan, ESPN LA. The guy who really made a sharp move during the pandemic. Big radio show in San Diego. ESPN said, we'll bring you up to LA. And he does what I do. He double dips. He does two shows a day. And really fascinated about, I'm fascinated about that Dean Spano story with the Chargers. I am because, look, working for the Raiders and you want the Raiders to beat the Chargers all the time. But I think Justin Herbert's great, not good. They got very lucky with him. Miami should have took Justin Herbert. They didn't. And then he fell to San Diego, and he just looks exceptional. He's that good. I'm telling you, you know it. If you're a Raider fan, you don't have to like Justin Herbert, but the guy is unbelievable early, early in his career. And we got to deal with Mahomes. But the Chargers are a train wreck financially in that organization. And I think that Justin Herbert's really the only guy that can save him. When the Raiders play, when the Raiders actually go play in L.A. for the rest of their lives, there's not going to be one Charger fan who holds on to their ticket. The Raiders are going to invade Inglewood at a point where it's going to be some of the greatest tailgate parties in the history of football on the road. Every Charger fan wants nothing to do with the Raiders in L.A. Nothing. So they're all going to sell their tickets, and every Raider fan's going to buy it. And, you know, there's going to be fans that Steeler fans and Giant fans and whoever will buy tickets in Vegas. I've come to grips with that. I'm fine with that. I'm not sitting here looking to fight people in the parking lot because they want to buy a ticket and go to the beautiful Allegiant Stadium. It's going to happen, but not at the point of what's going to happen with the Chargers. I mean, the Raider fans, that's a home game. The Raiders are going to get nine home games this year plus the Charger game, which is their 10th home game. It's a big deal, and Raider fans know it. 702-365-9200. Thanks to Scott Kaplan. We got a couple of mock drafts we're going to go over next hour. And also, coming up, are we nervous for the Vegas Golden Knights? I might be a little nervous now. I'm not a nervous Nelly, but I'm a little nervous. Iole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila. Say it with me. Iole, when someone scores a goal or scores a touchdown, Iole, the new premium vodka and tequila of the JT The Brick Show.